So uh, if I told you there was an untapped market out there, a good that simply ha had not made its way to the masses because in order for that good, you know, this product, service, whatever, I'm a business major, so bear with me. In order for that good to reach the masses, it required a very unique labor force. A, a, a labor force that, frankly, the world hadn't ever seen before. And we've seen great feats of manpower, like the pyramids in Egypt, unless you believe they were built by aliens. Um, in which case, I'm glad you're here. Uh, like, we need some alien people in our midst, right? Uh, but labor is the main barrier for this good reaching the, the market of the masses. And that good could only be provided uh, with this unique labor force that the best way to describe it is full-time work and full-time school. And I know some of you have been in that spot in life where it's full-time work and full-time school, and you're just like drained, you're, you're exhausted. Um, and it just, I, the, the reason I say that is because, it, it, you know, there's a reason that there's just not a lot of people signed up for this labor force. Uh, and just so you know, I'm not selling something, I'm not. This good is actually free. And I'm not great at math, but I can tell you that you can't sell something that's free. So um, that, that's one way to look at our passage today is there is this incredible need. There's this incredible need that every human life is meant to live and, and connect with this need that they have. But uh, there's, there's just not a lot of labor force out there. Um, if you want to look at it another way is... Uh, we could go back to Matthew 9 where Jesus said, I did not come to call the righteous but sinners. And it's not the sick who need a doctor. Or it's not the, it's not the healthy. It's not the righteous, the self-righteous who need a doctor. But it is the sick. So if you think about the need in terms of, um, you know, there's this disease that people are dying from. And if there's a cure, it would actually be evil. It would be wrong of us to withhold that good uh, if it was in our power to act. Um, that's Proverbs 3.24. Um, don't, don't withhold good from someone if it's within your power to act. So the reason I say that, the reason I start with that is, frankly, there are a lot of people who are selling uh, what we're going to talk about today, which is a, spiritual, a spirituality, um, a, a, a truth, a purpose, a hope. And, and that's what we're all made for. You, you cannot live your life without those things. Some people are selling it under the guise of Christianity, meaning... Meaning, I'm just, I'm not trying to throw anyone under the bus here, but I just want to, I want you to be informed. This is the world we live in. Uh, you can walk into a Christian bookstore and get a message that is distinctly not biblical, okay? Where if you do this, or if you believe this, then God will act this way. Uh, they're selling a prosperity gospel. Um, and others, I just learned this like last month, uh, others are actually becoming spiritual coaches and spiritual directors because, and they're, and they're, they're charging, like it's business. Uh, um, they're, they're doing it because there's all these people out there in the world who are looking for purpose, looking for meaning, hope. They're, they're just stuck in the daily grind. Rose and I actually met someone who does this in our neighborhood like she, she, she said, I have an online business. And Rose, I was checked out. Like end of the day, we were at the park. I was on the bench. True, right? It's so true. Rose was engaging uh, this late, this, this other mom. And, and then she said, oh yeah, uh, yeah, I, I have this online business. We work out of home. And Rose asked questions. Oh, what, what do you do? What do you do? Um, and, you know, not, not, yeah. What do you do? And 
just kind of unpacking, oh, I'm a spiritual director. Oh. And then I was like, you know, I was engaged from the bench. <laughs> but she said, yeah, there's a growing number of people who are doing this. And, uh, you know, they, they just, they're looking to get off the hamster wheel, out of the daily grind. They, they find that the life that they were meant to live that's what they're trying to do. And so Rose asked more great questions like, so how do you help them? Like, and, and she basically said, well, it's all relative. Choose your truth. You know? And I was just thinking, man, people are so hungry. They will hire a stranger to tell them what they want to hear. So I just share this. So we have situational awareness of the landscape of our time and place in history. Um, and, and, and let's be known what we're for and not what we're against. So um, there is an untapped market, which I don't even like using that, those words, but y- you get the message. It's a deep and lasting need of every human. And frankly, the thing that's stopping that good, that free incredible good of, of who God is in relationship with him. The thing that's preventing it is the workforce. And this is a transition text. We're working our way through Matthew's gospel. And, and this text is kind of a hinge point because in Matthew eight and nine, which we've been studying since October, uh, eight and nine really focused on what Jesus himself did. But now we're about to enter into chapter 10, which is what Jesus did through his disciples. And so let's read this text and we'll unpack it. This is Matthew 9, beginning in verse 35. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his 12 disciples and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles or the nations. Same word. And enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons, you received without pain, give without pay. And so as we start unpacking this text, there's a lot here. Uh, I just want to acknowledge up front, there's some differences between them then and us now. And that difference or those differences makes it so that we can't just, this isn't one of those texts and there's some in the Bible where we can read it and say, okay, I'm going to go do exactly what that says. Um, I want to highlight a couple differences that I notice. And if you disagree in your, you know, exegetical study, that, that's, that's okay, but just bear with me. D- the differences I see is that Jesus sends these 12 specific guys out on a short-term mission trip. 
Jesus gives them power to heal every disease and every affliction. Now, if we had that kind of power, Wesley and Via Christi or Ascension uh, and many, many, many people would be out of jobs. Um, Jesus sends them only to the Jews, right? We've been sent to all nations. And again, he's sending just these 12 by name and he gives them very specific instructions. And later, these instructions changed. If you read the other gospel accounts, um, this is, it's clear that this specific mission trip had these instructions and Jesus had a purpose uh, for changing the instructions later. Um, so I'm, I'm just pretty convinced that there's some things here that just doesn't apply directly to us, but there's some timeless principles that we have got to get that are so valuable. And I think one of the key parts of finding those timeless principles is, is, is comparing it to scripture that's similar that does apply to us. And, and one of my favorites just so happens to be the last lines of this same gospel. So we're reading Matthew in light of Matthew, you know, trying to understand what this gospel message means for us. And it's the last lines of Matthew. You probably know them. Jesus came to his disciples and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Does that sound similar? I, I think it's pretty similar. Um, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So, so let's focus on, on what's the same between these two and what's different. Well, we're both sent but in both cases were sent by Jesus, given authority to do what he had been doing. You know, Jesus had been healing in chapters eight and nine. Now he, and he had been making disciples this whole time. And he gives us authority to do what he'd been doing. Theirs was a short-term mission. Ours, we, we, we can just recognize, you know, this mission has been going on for a while. So it's more long-term mission. Uh, what's the same as these are ordinary guys that Jesus is sending on mission in both cases. And I would, I would say that Matthew 28, this mission that we've been given is actually a greater mission because it's to all nations. We have the rest of time as we know it. And, and if you think about where the disciples were at the time of their commissioning, they had some experience with Jesus, but we have so much more in terms of the picture of who Jesus is. You know, they have like kind of, sort of, let's just say the first nine chapters. <laughs> we have the whole story. And it's a pretty big story. Um, and we have a greater authority. Like Jesus has given us his very spirit. He, he doesn't seem to indicate, he just gave them authority to do this. Whereas now he's given us, you know, himself. So, so all that to say, what I want to look at today is eight ways we can engage the harvest, the harvest that this passage talks about. So eight ways to live on mission. And I know eight, eight, eight's a lot. I don't know if I've ever preached a sermon with eight points. So hang in there, you know, get your monster drink, your five hour energy out. Uh, we'll just use like half hour energy. Okay. Um, so here's the first way from this text, a timeless principle, a way that we can engage the harvest. Uh, watch what Jesus is up to. 
Watch what he's doing in our life and watch how he does it. So I see this in verse 35 where, you know, Jesus went throughout the cities and villages teaching, proclaiming the gospel and healing every disease and every affliction. I get that that's, you know, like he's not doing that anymore. He's not walking the earth like he was then. But the principle of discipleship is that we are living life with Jesus and looking to join him in what he's doing. We believe, like John 5, 19 says, Jesus says, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but he only sees what the, but he only does what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. And we're called to live in this type of abiding relationship with Christ to where we just stay with him and he stays with us. We're, we don't, you know, we're, we're not any more holy or like whatever when we come into church versus when we go into work. So, Jesus is inviting us to join him where he's already at work. And I just want to say, like, to just start on an incredibly practical level, uh, your workplace is, is a place with very, very few exceptions. And if you wonder about your work being an exception, talk to me afterwards because I doubt it is. But your workplace is a place where God is at work. We, we looked at Matthew's story earlier, like, he was sitting at a tax collector's booth and Jesus said, follow me. It's the guy testimony. It's like, well, I heard Jesus call to follow him. I got up and I followed him. Yeah. Any more of your testimony? Oh, that's it. That's the guy version. Uh, <laughs> Matthew's such a dude. Me and him get along great. But, uh, and yeah, again, if you're a guy who can tell a great story and include all those details, we love you. Like, uh, I need you in my life. So, uh, but your workplace is a place where God is at work. The, the people you interact with is probably what you're expecting me to say. You know, like, they're a mission field. And they are. Like, I want you to keep that in your mind. But also, just think about the good and the service that you provide to the world in your workplace. Or if you're a student, that you're preparing. You're preparing to provide a good or service to the world. And that is exercising dominion over the earth. That is what, that's part of our purpose as humans that God created us to do. Created us in his image to exercise dominion over it. And so I just, I just firmly believe, and if you want to dig more into that, I'd encourage you to read Tim Keller's book, Every Good Endeavor. There's other books like Visions of Vocation that I haven't gotten all the way through, but uh, there's other, there's good books like that can, you know, help you connect to, this is reality that, your workplace is a ministry field and, and you can join God in what he's doing where you already are. Whether you're a politician or a stay-at-home mom, you can live on mission where you're at. So that's the first way that we can engage the harvest. Just open our eyes to see where God is at work and join him there. Uh, the second way we can live on mission is to see people as Jesus does. See people as Jesus sees people. We, I see this from verse 36. Uh, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so, um, you know, it's, it's Thanksgiving week and this Friday is Black Friday. And if you want to go out, this would be a great opportunity to have compassion on people and to just people watch don't be weird about it, but, but people watch. People watch with the purpose of, man, can I see these people as Jesus does? Can I look at these crowds of people 
think about their families and have compassion for them. And think about, I mean, maybe all of them are saved, but think about if none of them are saved. Think about the mixture. The, the Bible says it's like the wheat and the tares, the, the good fruit, the, you know, the stuff you're trying to grow in your garden and the weeds, they grow up right next to each other. So just, just think about that and the opportunity that we just are surrounded by with people. The third, the third way we can engage mission uh, through this text, the third timeless principle I see is pray the facts. And I thought about breaking this up, but it's really, Jesus doesn't break up verse 37 and 38. You have to know the facts before you can pray the facts. But uh, pray the facts. Verse 37, this is where we know the facts. Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the, the laborers are few. And I don't know if you've spent time in your walk with Jesus believing that, like pressing into that and saying, I'm going to give myself, like, you know, sacrifice, make time. I'm going to, I'm going to put myself out there because I trust the harvest is plentiful. And I want, I want to, I want to be a part of what God's doing there. Um, after a while, at least for me, and I'll just tell you, three and a half years ago when Orchard started, um, I was believing this verse and I just didn't see, I just didn't, you know, didn't experience a plentiful harvest. I was asking God to grow the church fast and, you know, for those who are far from God to come near and, and it just, you know, like perception, my perception just didn't align with this apparent reality. And so I, I just want to acknowledge like, that this is a hard place to live and it requires a lot of you to, to be one of those laborers. Um, you know, we'd get a visitor and they wouldn't come back or they would, but then they wouldn't really commit. Um, and uh, these are the facts. These, these, this is true. The harvest is plentiful. And, and as a church, I just want to say that God will give the kind of growth that he wants when he wants to give it. Our calling, our calling is to be found faithful. Which means we are full of confidence that God will grow us and that God will grow his kingdom through us. We are full of confidence that the harvest is plentiful. And it takes every single person playing their part to be the church that God is calling us to be at Orchard. It takes it takes every single person playing their part. Small groups multiplying, it doesn't happen without leaders, but it also doesn't happen without faithful followers. Healthy small groups, healthy Sunday morning, healthy Tuesday, you know, midday when we're all scattered <laughs> as a church, living on mission, you know, at work and at home. H- health does not just happen. People have to show up. They have to engage. They have to love each other when it's hard and inconvenient. They have to apologize and be reconciled. So there's, I just want to say like our calling is to be found faithful. The harvest really is plentiful. The labors really are few. And we as a church, we don't measure success by numbers of heads in the room. I'd rather measure success by numbers of harvesters in the field. That's really hard to measure though. I think you'll know when you're a harvester. I think 
I think others around you will see that and speak that into your life and say, hey, I see this in you. But this is what we're called to do. Not just bring more people into a room, but into a reality of a relationship where we are growing and we're going. So these are the facts. We have to just know the facts. We have to believe these facts. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And our, our facts, what we say we believe, is always tested in prayer. What you really believe about God, it will come out. Tim Keller says the infallible test of spiritual integrity, like who you really are as a Christ follower, it's your private prayer life. And, and on that note, nothing's helped me more in private prayer than public prayer. <laughs> Praying with other people. Uh, oh, I don't pray like that. Why don't I pray like that? I should start praying like that. So uh, I guess announcement, we have Sunday morning prayer uh, and your small group should be praying. So, but Sunday morning prayer, uh, I, I, I enjoy it. And if, if you're like me, I'll just, this is my last bit on this announcement. If you're like me, you should probably just put a reminder in your phone. <laughs> if it's, because otherwise you'll forget next Sunday morning, you'll think, oh, I should just show up at, you know, 1020, starts at 1030 or whatever. But uh, Sunday morning prayer ends at like 1015. So it's come and go, starts at 930. But uh, it's great. It's a great way to uh, pray the facts and, and flesh out our theology. So here's, here's what Jesus said to do is pray earnestly. Pray earnestly. That if you have like King James, if you, if you like King James, it might say beseech, which, you know, make you sound really spiritual. But what beseech means in practical terms is what every parent with a kid who can talk and knows Christmas is coming, every parent is about to be beseeched, okay? They're about to be begged and with great desire made known what they want, okay? That's what kids do for their top items on their Christmas list. They beseech. So let's stop. This is a great way to read the Bible, by the way. Read until you can stop and do something. (laughs) Uh, Well, let's stop and just do what Jesus said. Beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Father, we really want that and... I just confess, I don't want it as much as you want me to want it. So help me to see how great it is to be a part of what you're doing in the harvest. Amen. Good job. The fourth way to live on mission is understand your delegated authority. Now, I don't know if the disciples bowed their head, you know, honestly. This is... the. Okay, this is speculation. So, but the way that I like to read this is Jesus said, you know, harvest is plentiful, workers are few. Therefore pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into his harvest field. And then I think, you know, just stop and see what they did. And guys, pray, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and then if they, if they bowed their heads, I just wonder how long was it before they 
before Jesus said what he said next in verse one. He called the 12 to himself and gave them authority. Which is basically like saying, okay, you prayed for this, now you look up and there's a mirror. Like, there's your answer to prayer. You know, like, biblically, we're all called to live on mission as Christ followers. There are no categories of, here's the missional Christians, and here's the the servant-hearted Christians, and the, you know, other Christians. Uh, We're all called to live on mission, and we have to understand our delegated authority in order to do that. This is, this is what chapter 10, verse 1 is talking about. Jesus giving authority. And so to obey what Jesus is saying is how, like just practically, that's how we flesh out delegated authority. Delegated authority is what we saw with the centurion in Matthew chapter 8. He's the, he's the Roman soldier who came to Jesus and said, uh, my servant's sick, and I, would you please help him? Jesus said, okay. And uh, the, the centurion said, I understand how authority works. You don't even have to come with me. Just say the word. So th- this is what it means for us to understand our delegated authority. We're, we understand that what we're doing when we press into life on mission is we're acting on Jesus' behalf. So you can feel, you can feel all the feelings of scared, timid, like you're, inadequate, inadequate but, uh, but pressing in and living life on mission is, is an expression of understanding, okay, this is not, I don't have to have the authority because Jesus has the authority here. So the fifth way to live on mission that we see in this text is uh, know yourself and know your battle buddy. Where I'm getting this is from verses two through four. After delegating authority, Jesus names the 12 sent ones. That's what apostle means, is sent one. And I don't know why, other than just, you know, like, hey, here's their names. They're recorded elsewhere. But we do know from Mark 6, when it records the same thing, these two were sent out two by two. So I'm guessing this, I'm guessing Simon and Andrew, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, you know, you see two by two. And Jesus, the, the Lord always sends us out in community. Community and mission are not separate in the Bible. They're, they're together. And so we need to know ourselves. <laughs> we're, we're all ordinary like these guys were. We're ordinary people who have been with Jesus. And your battle buddy is an ordinary sinful person who's also been with and being with Jesus. So on that note... Um, we get really close to people that we share these types of deep experiences with. And I'm sure that was true for them then too. And so it's, it's really hard to not let community trump mission. What, what I mean is to not just say, ah, this, this is my person. These are my people. Like whatever, whatever comes, we got to stay together. But gospel goodbyes are a real thing. They're bittersweet. And, and it doesn't necessarily mean I'll never see you again until the new creation. But, but it means that this mission shapes our community. It means the Lord of the harvest is directing our path. It means that we don't, I mean, just to get real practical, we don't choose a church based on what 
we like necessarily or way, the way it could best serve us. We ch- we're supposed to choose our community based on the leading of God and his spirit. So, I mean, when we start building God's kingdom our way, we're actually building our kingdom. Um, and so I, I just, if you've never had a friend that like, you, you enjoy that friend, but you, when you step back from that friend, you think, man, we would never really be friends <laughs> if we weren't living on mission together. Like, we just don't have the same interest, background, personality, whatever. But it's really sweet when God shapes us into his likeness by bringing someone who's not like us into our life. So a really quick, well, I wouldn't say quick, a way that churches often die is because they want to stay someplace comfortable rather than move in faith. So yeah, let's just commit to knowing ourselves and knowing our battle buddy and trusting that the Lord of the harvest, he's going to take care of us. The sixth way to live on mission is work the field you've been sent to. Verses five and six, Jesus sent out the 12 and he instructed them, this is where you're to go. Israelites, go to the Jews. Don't go anywhere else. He gave them a field to work. And I've already alluded to this, but your part in the harvest always comes from the Lord of the harvest. And no matter where you're at, you're in his field. So you don't have to like look at your, look at your grass and look over the fence and say, oh, it's so much greener. I wish I was over there. I bet it's more fruitful over there. Um, that's, that's really not living in faith. And, and whether we're a big church or a small church, what matters to God is that we're a church with big faith. And you can have a small church with big faith you can have a big church with small faith, a big church with big faith. There's no causation there. We get to choose, will we work the field that we've been sent to? The seventh way I see in this passage um, that we can live on mission, and this is, this is absolutely essential to all of them, is show and tell the gospel. Verse seven and the beginning of eight, Jesus says, as you and, and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Now, again, let's, let's start with heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. This does not mean that our mission will look exactly the same as their mission. That's a way to show the gospel. We are still called to show the gospel. If you believe those tools are available to you, great. That's we have people in our church who believe that and then others who don't. And that, that doesn't divide us as a church. But we all are called to show and tell. And some people like to say, share the gospel always. If necessary, use words. And I agree with the first part. Absolutely share the gospel always. But also just realize the gospel is news. It's always necessary to use the words. To use words. So... One thing that's really helpful to me is we won't share what we don't care about, what we don't think about ourselves. So breath prayers are a really easy way. It's, it's an easy practice to just practice God's presence throughout the day. A breath prayer is choosing a phrase that is short enough to say under your breath or, or to not say at all, but as you breathe, 
feel your breath first, and then put that phrase into your breath. So the kingdom is here. You can say that in a breath. And if we're proclaiming that gospel to ourselves, it's going to be on our tongues to share with others. But showing and telling the gospel, it is essential. It is essential to living on mission. And so the, the eighth and final point is that we are to do this good without expectation of receiving in return. So if, if my intro really rubbed you the wrong way about, you know, there's a market and the masses and all that, well, here you go. <laughs> it's not a business. Uh, verse 8, you received without pain, give without pay. So living on mission is, is to be done generously. And when we are connected to the reality that it is God's presence, God's power that does all of this work, then the pressure's off. Our responsibility is stay connected to him. So you received without pain, give without pay. And, and this is talking, we're, we're going to look at this more next week. It's talking about money, but it also applies like by, with our actions, acting kindly without expectation of return. It's not necessarily permission to let people repeatedly take advantage of you. But this kindness invites them into a new kind of life. And so we can only give, we can only give what we first received. That, that's very much implied in this. You received without pain, give without pay. You, can, you can't give something unless you've received it. And you can't keep giving unless you keep receiving. So, you made it through the eight points. Most are still awake. That's a win. Eight points to say one thing, really. Uh, part of the beauty of a local church is that, you know, you get to, we as a church, get to define our culture, our strategy. And what I would suggest, what I would invite you to, and us to follow Jesus on mission, just with this simple strategy. Here, here's how we'll reach the world and how we'll be faithful witnesses. Discipleship to Jesus. Walk with him, abide with him. And if you're like, okay, but I've been doing that and it hasn't produced mission in me or I don't even know what you mean by that. Uh, or I, I want that, but Ben, I've messed up so much this week or this past year. Like, I don't know that that's an option. That's, discipleship is learning. That's the nature of discipleship. And it's not learning in theory, like, hey, we're going we're gonna to study this text. Uh, it's learning in practice. It's going out and doing and debriefing with God, with other people. That, that's, that's the essence of discipleship. And I'm convinced that the church is for discipleship. When the need for discipleship ceases, you know, there's going to be no need for the church. But the church is for discipleship. And discipleship is for the world. That's, some, that's, that's a phrase I'd encourage you to just chew on. The church is for discipleship. Discipleship is for the world. One, I'm not going to be able to fully unpack it. But one essential essence or element of that is that our, our growing in Christ, if you want to be mature and deep, and our going, you know, like reaching the lost, they're tied together. 
So evangelism isn't something we do. It's, it's something that happens as we follow Jesus. And by the way, it doesn't always happen in my life. <laughs> and then evangelism becomes a discipline. Hey, I've been, I haven't shared my faith in like six months or a year. Uh, I should go knock on some doors. I've done that. That's not, I don't like knocking on doors, but I like even less when my discipleship to Jesus is, is not producing a compassion, a heart for the lost that leads to action. And you might look at your life and think, Ben, there's just not a lot there. There's not a lot of opportunities. I'd go back to know the facts. That's not how God sees it. He says the harvest is plentiful. And so two years ago, um, uh, I was in a room with uh, other pastors and, and the largest missionary sending agency in the world. And, and here's what they said to all the pastors in the room. They said, we can't send who you don't raise up. And, and they weren't talking to just pastors. They were talking to the church. <laughs> they were saying, we absolutely need the church all of us to reach the lost. And so when we pray for Rich and Carla, when we pray for Jordan, um, obviously we're all a part of that, you know, the, the, the gospel reaching the nations, the ends of the earth, like just in prayer, you're part of it. But uh, if you know them personally, you're even more a part of it. And, and if you're thinking, Ben, I'm, you know, like missionary pastor, this, this is so far disconnected from me. I just, a, a brief little example from my own life is some of the key people that invested in my life, their vocations were in engineering, sales. And I don't even, I don't like salesmen at all, but engineering, sales, and education. Yes, I had pastors and professors, but when I think about key people, I have to include those three in my life. And none of them were looking to say, oh, I want to invest in the life of a future pastor, a church planter. They, they, they were looking to be faithful. They were working the field where God had placed them. That's, that's what ended up happening. But that's the beauty of being faithful. You just work your field. Who knows what God wants to do with your kids? Who knows what God wants to do with your single years? I learned an acronym this weekend, DINK, double income, no kids. Uh, who knows what God wants to do with your years as a dink. <laughs> and, and honestly, like you might be suffering. Who knows what God wants to do? You might not know. You might not get the answer this side of heaven. But I promise you, you will know the joy of your father who found you faithful. So every time you are tempted or someone else asks you, you know, how many people are at your church? And you're tempted to just measure success by numbers of heads in the room. Just say no to your, you know, in your heart. Measure success by harvesters in the field. And, and honestly, the only one that I can control is me. The, the only choices that I can make are mine. So just take your next step. Do it with others. Invite them along with you because the church is for discipleship and discipleship is for the world. So now we've come to the end and today we're going to end with communion, which is quite a fitting end because Paul said, 
that whenever you do this, this practice, and when you do it together as a community, living in healthy relationship, open, honest, reconciling relationship, when you do this, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. So this is something that God uses to form us, communion, and it is communal. We do it together, but it is for our formation and our formation is for the world. So if you're, if you're a disciple, meaning you've chosen to, to live as a learner of Jesus, to trust him for the forgiveness of your sins and to follow him as your Lord, your master, then, then we invite you to come uh, forward as the song plays. Hold on to the elements and then we'll partake of them together. So in doing this, like Paul writes, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the elements together. So at this time, I went a little long today. Let's probably do the eight points. Um, uh, If you have kids downstairs, uh, come up. If you need to go, then uh, you're welcome to go. If there's, uh, I want to be respectful of y'all's time, but we'll, We'll continue with music and worship and uh, we'll have the kids come up and join us. And uh, so if you have kids, you can send one or both parents down and we'll just play music and they'll come and join us as the, as the music is played. So thanks for coming.